Spire. Welcome back to Starting Now. I'm your host, Jeff Saris. This is the show where I talk to entrepreneurs to reveal the how of entrepreneurship. We dive into different stories and the value in these isn't to look for prescriptive, do this, do that, follow these steps kind of advice. It's it's really to reveal the many different ways that you can pursue entrepreneurship and getting started on your next idea. This episode, I talked to Colin Wright. Colin is an author, he's a blogger, he's a speaker, he's a podcaster. When it comes to creators, Colin really does it all. And he's done this completely solo for the last decade. He's built a brand that people have have really gravitated towards and he's doing something different that I think you're really going to going to appreciate. I loved this conversation. This was this was a great chat and I really hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. So without further ado, my conversation with Colin Wright. It's turning these communication tools into like giant shit cannons instead of the <laughs> the truly wonderful things that they actually are if we use them correctly. Yeah, I like giant shit cannons. Is a nice mm-hmm. way to look at it. Um, yeah, they don't market as well when you when you put that label on, but yeah, for sure. <laughs> so I think we'll just dive right in then. Let's do it. So hey there, Colin. Thanks so much for taking the time out of your day to be on the show. It's my pleasure. Good to see you. Yeah, it's it's awkward to start after we've been talking for twenty minutes, <laughs> like sort of off the record of sorts. But um, it's, it's it's all right. We'll just pretend it, I haven't seen you in ages. This is so good. Your hair is so long and sure. luxurious. Oh well, thank you. <laughs> Coming from you, that means a lot. <laughs> Someone Dude, I mean, for basically half my day. These I'm just trying to hide the mullet. That's all. Most of my <laughs> days. Uh, that's how I spend it. Yeah. So you are. A bit of an enigma, I feel like to me. I've always I find myself um, interested in people and how they do things. I like to I like to see what they say, what they write about, what they talk about. But also, I like to dive a little deeper and get a better understanding of how they're doing things or why they're doing things. You do so much that I want to just run down a little list of some of the things you're doing right now. That um, you have Let's Know Things, which is your podcast where you're diving in different topics. I mean, obviously, you can correct me on any little descriptors that I give here. You have Brain Lenses, which is a similar, it seems It seems sort of connected to Let's Know Things, but a different, um, a different angle. You have Still Your Sight, Exile Lifestyle, which you've had for many years of travel. You have Colin Wright's newsletter. You have Curiosity Weekly. You have the Curiosity Gadget, the Never Curious Web Apps, or Never Not Curious Web Apps. How on earth do you sort of describe who you are in like a concise way because you do <laughs> quite a bit how would you how would you frame that it's always a difficult question to answer it's largely context dependent actually it, like people ask in different circumstances and they're looking for different sorts of answers i find that the easiest way to answer typically is just to say i'm a writer or an author like i still make a decent chunk of my income off of the books that i've written and then a lot of the work that I do in general, from the podcasts to the blog and newsletter and everything else, they're very writing heavy. So I make a decent amount of my income off of writing. And that's what people are typically asking about when they say, what do you do? Um, 
Yeah, it's tricky though, because actually most of my time right now is spent, if you can believe it, trying to become a full stack JavaScript developer. Um, oh, really? <laughs> which is just something asked me six months ago if I would be doing that. I'd say, why? Why would I be doing that? Uh, but back in way back in the day, I, when I was doing branding work primarily out in Los Angeles, I built a lot of websites and a lot of these sites were heavy into Flash and Flash is not a thing that exists anymore. Well, it, it yeah, still technically exists, but by years. the end of the year, it, it won't be uh, a thing that anybody uses. And so I've been kind of like dabbling and digging into these things. And the more I learn, the more I realize how, what incredible tools um, just HTML, CSS, and JavaScript are these days. And so I've been digging into that. And that is representative of most of how I spend my time, where I try to build my life in such a way that the work that I do and then the next work that I might do, these are all things that take priority. And then along the way, I try to figure out ways that I can make money off of these things that are not based on business models that I consider to be douchey. And <laughs> it's, a, it's a very difficult, time-consuming thing, and it's something that leaves a lot of money on the table. And it's something that's very uncertain and very difficult to describe to other people because there's so many different pieces to it. And none of the things that I do by themselves are a full-time income, but all of the things in aggregate then add up to something that I can actually make a financial living off of while also leaving myself all the time that I want to spend on all of these other things that I want to dabble in. Yeah. So then I'm curious, what makes a monetization strategy douchey? <laughs> <laughs> It'll be different for every single person. I, I don't want to uh, talk down anything that anybody else mm -hmm. would, would choose to do. We all make our decisions. We all have different perspectives on different things. I mean, it, little things to me that most people do not consider douchey. I don't like um, pop-up windows, mm -hmm. I, like pop-up windows to subscribe yeah. to newsletters. By all indications, my understanding is that these things actually do get more people to sign up. And in some cases, some people might look at that and say, oh, how wonderful. I did not know this person had a thing that I could sign up for. For me, my visceral response when I experience something like that is to not want to go back to that website ever again. And so for me, my rule with those sorts of things is to try to avoid at all costs doing things to other people that I wouldn't want done to me. And, and so again, it's, it's a line that will be drawn for different people in different places that's totally legitimate. My way of doing it is not good for everybody, but I find that by doing that math and trying to figure out what I actually, where my line is, um, I sleep much better at night. And that's not something that I was able to say what, 12, 13 years ago or whatever when I was doing branding work back in LA. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that, um, one of the reasons I'd say why I'm doing this podcast, I think it's really valuable not to, not to try to give prescriptive, this is how you should do this as like a listener. But I think it's really valuable to dive into your how, like how you're monetizing, how you're doing things, not because you're saying everyone should do this, or we should all agree that this is the best yeah. way. But I think the more voices we hear in terms of entrepreneurship and how how someone makes a living on their own, like fully self-sustained. I think it, as a whole, it just really helps educate, educates the listener, educate people on how to better pursue what they have in mind. Exactly. And more exposure to more ideas and more perspectives makes it more likely 
that you'll find something, even if it's not a holistic plan. Ideally, it won't be. Like if you try to take somebody else's way of doing something and take it wholesale and adopt that entire thing, chances are there will be some component of that that doesn't make sense for you. And that might cause some suffering or some necessary rethinking down the line. But if you can look out at look out at a lot of different models, then you can take ingredients from everybody's recipe, make your own weird ass recipe that looks like you, something that is very you shaped. And that ideally is what you do, even though it does take quite a bit more time. And it's something where Mm -hmm. you have to experiment quite a bit because for a lot of these things, and this is true with life, not just with business models, but a lot of these things we don't think about until we have to. And as a consequence, we don't know what annoys us on the internet, or we don't know what lines we're willing to draw or what what lines we're unwilling to cross rather in order to make a thousand dollars like what are you willing to do and what are you not willing to do these are really really important things to understand about yourself but it's unlikely until you reach a certain decision uh, crossroads that you'll actually know in specificity the answer to that question yeah um let me just swap this here just had a little for anyone listening we just we had a little snafu earlier with the internet so things were a little uh off off kilter so i just had to do one more thing that i forgot to turn off my notifications otherwise people are going to be watching text come in which is a a great thing on a podcast you know (laughs) (laughs) potentially very awkward love it yeah for sure um (laughs) but yeah so how then like what types of monetization strategies have you found through your diving into what you're doing through content. Um, I mean, content across many different areas, which maybe we should dive into that, like sort of the the what it is that you're offering. Um, but then I would like to get over to like monetization and how you found the ways that really work well for you. Yeah. So I make my living these days currently. I have royalties coming in from books that I've written. And that's through bookstores. Most of the income comes in through Amazon. That's the nature of the beast these days. But I do have income coming in from Amazon alternatives like Kobo, but also bookstores and such, fortunately, as well. Uh, I have typically, not right now because of uh, the, the pandemic, but typically I have a certain amount of income each year based on how much speaking I'm doing coming in from speaking gigs. And sometimes that's keynoting at conferences. Um, back in, gosh, what was it? 2018, 2019, I did like a 50 city tour that I set up myself just to see how that works. I had never set up my own tour before. Wouldn't recommend it unless you really enjoy spreadsheets and things like that. There was a (laughs) lot of juggling of dates and names and things that was really, really difficult and, and tricky to keep together and very stressful. But, um, with that, I did a couple different business models where I sold tickets, but then somewhere I did donations only. And in some places mm. actually earned more from the donations than I did from selling tickets, um, but not always. And so there's some interesting lessons there. And then I sell books at those speaking events as well. Typically, uh, I have a Patreon for let's know things. So that's, I, I do an additional episode each month for people who are patrons at any level alongside a call to action free version of the show. I, I don't do ads on the show, but I do encourage people to go to my Patreon. And so those messages are removed for people who are patrons. Uh, And I have a similar thing sort of for my newer project, Brain Lenses. I've been doing Let's Know Things for, gosh, over four years now. Oh, it's that long already. 
Yeah, I know, right? And, and Brain Lenses is less than a year, so it's it's quite new. Um, that I decided to do through a company called Substack, though. And Substack, I have a couple of newsletters through them. Brain Lenses started out as a newsletter that I intended to convert into a podcast. And so I take the essays that I write for Brain Lenses, and then a couple months out, record them and release them as podcast episodes. And so the idea there... Uh, again, is that people get additional content if they pay any amount, but in this case, it's through Substack instead of Patreon. Uh, different model, similar model in a lot of ways, but a different company, slightly different mechanisms behind it. Um, what else do I do? I'm trying to, to think of... I, I've got a bunch of other things that I do primarily either as marketing, like it's non-marketing marketing, like my blog and such. I've never made money directly off of my blog, but it's something that then people come to and it points them in different directions. If they like what I'm saying, or if they find something interesting, chances are non-zero that they'll then click on something and go find one of my other things that I do make money off of or come to a talk. Uh, and then recently I added like a, a buy me a coffee button to that. And so I, I do get a, a decent amount, uh, not insignificant amount. I, I call it like either grocery money or something like that through people paying me donations of $3 at a time through the, the blog. And I have that same model with things that I haven't developed a more fully realized business model for yet as well. Um, so I have a, a little app that I built called Author Size that basically puts constraints on people to try to uh, incentivize them to create a daily writing habit. And so you have exactly 150 seconds and then you can't write anymore. And it gives you a prompt word that draws from the 10,000 most common English words. Pulls one of those randomly, gives you the prompt, 150 seconds, go. And it's something that I still have a lot of fleshing out to do. Uh, but already certain uh, a few writing groups have taken it and used it as like a daily writing ritual type of exercise. And that's what I'd like it to be. And as I expand it, I might create like a premium tier for that, or I might continue to have it as a donation model thing. Um, the idea is to try to give myself space, one, to learn with these different things. A lot of these things are just experiments. And then two, to not put pressure on people so that they feel that if they engage with any of my new experiments, that they're going to be immediately like funneled into a sales channel. In most cases, most of my stuff is completely free. And I make my living because people are willing to pay a bit extra to get a little bit extra, or in a lot of cases, just because they want to support my work. Yeah, and you're going with that give, 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 ask kind of approach, which is phenomenal. I mean, you're giving so much content, such great stuff through the podcast, through the writing, through these tools. I love the thought of author size. And that's where you're applying <laughs> Thank you. your JavaScript, correct? Yeah, exactly. And it, it, along with most of the other stuff I'm doing through Never Not Curious, these are just exercises. These are ways for me to figure out how much I know and what I need to know next. And they are things that I can build on over time. So they, they already serve an innate purpose for me. They, they are a way for me to hone what I... I'm trying to learn. Um, but the idea then is hopefully along the way as you're learning, and this is one of the better ways to, to learn and retain what you learn, is to try to create something of value for other people at the same time. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, what would you say is one of the biggest takeaways from programming? Because like you said, you were doing Flash, but Flash is quite a bit different than JavaScript today. Wait, JavaScript is so much better. I mean, in, in my, <laughs> it, this is also me looking back at the previous lifestyle I had, so I might be biased mm -hmm. in this. But back in the day, 
HTML and CSS was nonsense and JavaScript was too clunky to do anything. And Flash, it was all we had. But <laughs> man, it was just so, it, it gobbled up so much memory. And I guess some of the websites we built were so tacky. But uh, I mean, programming in general, just I actually got back into programming by learning some Python which I always thought Ooh. looked beautiful. Like I loved the concept of it from a distance, but I didn't know anything about it. And I'd never done programming um, meant for anything above and beyond just web development. And so mm -hmm. my understanding of programming was very superficial for that type of programming. So I, I learned a bit. I'm, I'm a really terrible Python programmer. Like I, I can't do anything of worth with it, but it helped me understand the fundamentals in a way that aesthetically and conceptually made a lot of sense to me. And then jumping over to JavaScript from that felt like using a, a not as well-designed version of Python. And a lot of JavaScript fans are going to hate me for saying that. But uh, to me, I, I like JavaScript because I can do more of the type of things I want to do with it, but I don't like the design of it as well. And programming in general really encourages you to break things apart into chunks that you can then handle. And in most cases, when I'm building something, I don't know exactly how I'm going to do it when I come up with the idea, but I know that I can probably break it apart into 30 different things and figure out how to wire those things together and then spend twice as much time fixing all of the problems I created by building it in that way <laughs> and figuring out ways to make it faster and more beautiful and to do it correctly. Um, I, I, Basically, all of this comes through the lens of somebody who's a very, very mediocre programmer of any kind. But the that way of looking at problems, I think, can be valuable for a whole lot of things, especially when you're looking at problems that you're not handed a preset or a pre-built set of tools to deal with. And so when you're trying to build your own tools on the fly and you don't know if any of those tools will even work for what you want to accomplish, that that programmer's mindset of breaking things apart and conceptualize, conceptualizing things in that way uh, it seems really helpful. I, I think that programming really goes hand in hand with entrepreneurship, with the stuff that mm. we do, because that is, like you say, the programmer's mind and breaking it down into systems. That is where I shine. And that it's where my sort of formal training is. All my, most of my experience is in some form of problem solving, usually things that, like you said, there isn't a clear answer. And so how do we get how do we get from A to B when it is just not a smooth path in the middle? We need to sort of blaze our own trail of sorts. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. And, and thinking about things in terms of systems and tools and creating assets. And there's a lot of different um, concepts of that kind that exist within entrepreneurship and programming that mm -hmm. you know build something once and then reuse it over and over again as opposed to rebuilding it and rebuilding it and rebuilding it there's a lot of very uh, time and energy saving concepts of that kind that exist between the two there is a lot of parallel yeah absolutely and that's i've realized i'm like the operator you have you have your creators you have your uh, what what's the middle one that there's sort of like a three tiers of entrepreneurship but i'm definitely in the operator with an M? world yeah yeah yeah, I forget what it Still is. learning all the structural sides of things, but I'm sure that you somebody's probably already written a book about that, about how oh, yeah. programming is entrepreneurship, and here's how all the things that you can pass in between the two different fields. Mm -hmm, for sure. So you're spending your time learning. You spend an immense amount of time learning because let's know things. You you go deep into topics, brain lenses as well. Um, what does your balance between learning and creating look like? 
Ooh, you know, it, it probably varies. Um, so like when I'm on tour, for instance, when I'm doing talks almost every day for a period of like half a year, um, then I am making a whole lot in the, in the sense of putting stuff out there and speaking to people and, and such, but I'm also more like note taking for future deep dive creation into things like books or, or really much larger projects that go above and beyond just maintenance. Um, and, and then at other times though, I can mostly set aside most work. Um, every week I have what three podcasts I have, let's know things in two episodes of brain lenses and then two essays of brain lenses to write. And then a newsletter, which has an essay that ends up on the blog with some additional updates and things. Th those so wait, are my main cons Every week is that much? That's every week. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but so those, but you do it enough. I mean, again, four years with let's know things. It's a lot of work, but I have it down to a rhythm. You do anything for four years and you figure out ways to do it more efficiently. And so for me, normal aspects of my day. Part of the reason that I wired up those businesses the way that they exist now, those projects, is that they a lot of what they soak up is from soil that's already there. Most of what I do for fun and what I do for self-education, these are things that feed directly into these projects. And so it's not like I have to go do a bunch of independent at least for the early stages of these projects. Like I have to do a bunch of independent research. I'm researching constantly. And that's just something that I enjoy doing. And I've tried to orient it, or I've tried to orient things in my life so that I'm able to continuously do that. Uh, so when I step away from all the work, I'm still doing a whole lot of that stuff just for my own pleasure. Uh, and if you can build repetitive tasks or business models or whatever into your life that then utilize those existing cycles or propensities or habits or rituals that you already have. Um, one, then they don't feel like work so much. Sometimes they do, but typically they don't. Uh, and then two, you're not doubling up on certain types of tasks. And so because I'm constantly researching it and soaking up information and learning anyway, generally within that process, I find the seed of what will become next week's episode. And then I'm able to sit down and do a very similar task and batch process that with other things that I'm doing for fun, get the base level of my outline for the script, and then I can go through and do deeper research, which is separate. And I can compartmentalize all these things, but also have them kind of interconnected in, in a beneficial way. It strikes me that you've monetized your hobbies. Essentially, you've found a business model <laughs> for hobbies. Would you say you have hobbies outside degree. of this? Oh yeah, tons, tons. Um, I mean, I play a lot of music. I cook. I, I, there's a lot of things. I've been jumping rope like a fiend because I really? can't do anything else. But yeah, I've been basically. I've got. There's a good deal of yard out here, out here in the sticks. But uh, I've got a driveway, and so I decided. I mean, what am I going to do? I can't really go running. There's no sidewalks around here. Um, but I can jump rope, and so I've been. I find things like that, and I get into them, and then some of them. Um, Several years ago, I learned to play the piano and to sight read music, just is something I always wanted to do. And then I realized to get above or to get beyond the, the plateau point that I reached where I knew enough to read music and I knew more about music structure than I did before. I knew how to sit down and play songs if I could sit there and read the music. Um, but I realized to get any further than that, it would require a whole lot more energy and time than I wanted to put into it. So I set that aside. And so some of these things end up being plateau points that I could then revisit later if I ever want to. 
Uh, but in a lot of cases, they're just it's a chunk of knowledge that then you use to inform other chunks of knowledge. And, and so I sing and I play guitar and I write music. Not great, but I, I do it. Um, and these things then benefit from those other experiences. But some of them do end up then feeding into work. And part of the reason that I try to maintain a flexible system for this, where there's multiple parts and none of them, I, I'm not completely reliant on any one of them. Uh, for my happiness or for my financial security, because then I can take them out and put in new ones anytime I want to. And so if I want to pluck something out and just make it a hobby again, I can. And if I want to pluck something out because nobody uses Flash websites anymore, I can do that <laughs> as well. Uh, the, the idea is to make it a stable structure predicated on flexibility and malleability, as opposed to making it so rigid that it becomes fragile. Yeah. And you are 100% solo, correct? Like you've Maybe you have, but like you currently, you have no employees, no contractors or anything. No, no. In, so, in the past, I've experimented with that, but I, I find that I, I typically enjoy it more doing it myself. Yeah. Dave and I are the same way. Everything in house. We, <laughs> yeah. we just, we always keep it. I mean, sometimes it can be to our detriment, of course, until the systems are in place. It's like, oh, these things take so much time. But with, I think with the practice and with time, we sort of refine and figure out, okay, what's necessary? How how do we keep this up while staying super lean? Sort of that minimalist business approach. Um, exactly, exactly. So in that vein, what does your, in that, um, along the line of thinking, what does your typical day look like currently? Like with pandemic, um, <laughs> being in Missouri, what does a standard uh, day maybe look like? It's a weird, very antisocial day right now. I mean, I, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so typically what I do these days, uh, I'll get up, make a cup of coffee. Just a, I do two cups of black coffee a day. And so I'll, I'll make my first one come in. I, I've got a collection of different resources that I use to update myself on different industries and fields and different people who are experts on different things that I follow. And so a lot of them these days are newsletters um, from different news sources, but also individuals. And so I'll, I'll plow through that usually half an hour to an hour to, to do that initial, what's going on in the world? What are people thinking about? What are people talking about? And, and that's, that's for me, but again, it also kind of informs the rest of the work that I do to a certain degree. What, and not um, to interrupt, but in terms of newsletters, are there specific ones that you're like, these are can't miss newsletters for you? Oh, there's so many good ones. Uh, you know, there's, what's the guy's name? Levine. There's a Bloomberg money one that Going into it, I did not think I would enjoy it at all. But this dude basically just editorializes about two or three topics within the worlds of stocks and finance and stuff. I think it's every day, which is shocking because it's so big and so well done. But he he's very funny. It's very attainable. Every single time I'll set aside extra time to read his newsletter because I'll go through and find two or three things that I, I don't know what he's talking about. And so I'll have to go look it up to understand the context of his commentary, which invariably ends up being brilliant. But I, I like things like that that push me out of my my comfort zone. And then there's another one called Tangle that it's very US politics focused. But the the guy who writes it does a, an incredible job, maybe the best that I've seen, of writing what left and right politics and political voice boxes are saying about a particular topic each day. And he goes through and does it in a way so that people on the right and the left are like, yeah, that actually very accurately describes the way that we feel about this topic. That is so rare. And, and he's doing a great mm -hmm. job with, with Tangle. 
Um, but, but those among others, some of them take me all of 10 seconds to go through because they don't write a whole lot. They just kind of point at different things. And then some of them are big, long, uh, very dense reads that I also quite enjoy. Um, after that, <clears throat> that's my first cup of coffee also. Uh, and then I make my second cup of coffee and then I do whatever morning work I have to do. And that's sometimes it's, it's a brain lenses essay. Um, sometimes it's writing a draft of a podcast episode. Usually it's whatever the most difficult thing that I have to get done that day happens to be. And so I'll sit down with my, my last cup of coffee and do it and just get it done. Typically I can get that done by around 11. And then at 11, it's, it's very hot in Missouri right now. 11, I can still go outside and jump rope 2,500 times as quickly as possible while there's still shadow to keep me from burning to death. I'm very pale. Um, <laughs> and, and so I like to try to get outside before noon so I can do that. Do my jump rope, come in, make some lunch. And then I have the rest of the day, sometimes for like secondary longer term work that I'm doing in preparation for the following week or something like that. But in a lot of cases, it's more focused on doing coursework for lack of a better term. I have a collection of different like textbooks or books on JavaScript or something like that, that I'm working through at the time. And so I give myself time for coursework. And then sometime later, four-ish, typically, I'll go through the second round of newsletters and such that have arrived since I churned through the original batch that morning. I'll check the news and go through a bunch of websites to see what's up. Um, every once in a while throughout the day, I'll check Twitter to see what people are talking about because typically there's a, a delay. So news will arrive on Twitter and then 30 minutes to three hours later, it arrives on news sites. And so I'll, I'll see what's kind of happening there. But yeah, most of the rest of the day, at the moment, it's just that it's it's learning and then working on projects, working on the, the little apps that I'm building right now, or fleshing out ideas of where to go next, what to do next, things that I might build, uh, that sort of thing. It's, it's very flexible right now. Mm -hmm. And I love that filling the day with growth opportunities is so valuable. Like that's when I feel the best is even if I'm not creating something, but I feel like I'm growing, it makes all the difference mm. for me. And uh, Self-investment. We, we were talking before uh, about assets. I, I don't remember if that was before we started recording or not, but basically the idea of assets and the most valuable asset you can work on and invest in is yourself. Um, one, because you're not going to lose it. Uh, there's tons of assets that you can lose or they can be destroyed or they can, like your skills in, in developing Flash websites, they can completely deteriorate to the point that they're worthless. But yourself, yourself isn't going anywhere. So anything that you can do for yourself in terms of investing in knowledge or capabilities in terms of your health, your, your psychological and financial well-being, all of these things, these are excellent investments. And I know it's very, very easy to set them aside as not being important as the other stuff, but these are the things that allow you to do the other stuff better. And so almost always they are worth investing in at least a little bit each day. Definitely. And since there are so many, there's a lot of inputs, but they are highly curated inputs that you have. How have you sought, say, a new newsletter or something like maybe you have a topic, maybe you want to go into get that really balanced political view, get the um, around the view on like money and things. How do you find those sources? And do you have any recommendations for people who might want to do similar? Oh, yeah, a lot of it, it's kind of chaining recommendations. And so people that I follow on Twitter, I, I don't follow a, a huge number of people, but they tend to be experts in different fields or they're people who have interesting perspectives on things. 
typically if somebody that is already within my curated collection of inputs recommends something, I'll at least check it out. And then over time, that kind of forks out into other things. Every once in a while, too, I'll come across something that is like in a textbook, uh, or there'll be a new something that I become aware of that I'll then go out and try to see what exists. So when I started to learn Python uh, several years ago, I basically didn't even know what I didn't know yet. And so I went out and sought out newsletters and books and websites and forums and podcasts, as many different types of input as I could possibly get. And then after a little while, I winnowed those down to just like two or three things. But for a while, I had like 20, 30 new things that I was checking out. And you kind of go out and taste test. And after a while, you're not always going to get the most representative mouthful just by taste testing and and trying out a few things here and there. But you get better at it. And you get better at figuring out what sorts of things are valuable for what you want to get out of it, whether that's attaining new knowledge or entertainment. Uh, and, And you also get better then at kind of recognizing ahead of time too which sorts of things probably will fit within your day and fit within your routine and where you could probably add some more things and where you're probably super saturated at this point and you don't need another podcast. Maybe you just want to have another newsletter. Yeah. Um, so when this changes, this is going to, you're, it's going to open up. You're going to move. You're going to head to your next destination. How do you think your, how do you sort of envision because you've traveled for many years, like full-time traveling. We haven't even really gotten into that area, but um, (laughs) you've traveled full-time for so long. How do you see your days changing as you're moving to a new city after being sort of on lockdown, where you said an antisocial kind of average day? Oh, it's kind of hard to say. And actually, I, I tend to leave myself as open as possible based on what the circumstances of a new place requires. Um, and, and so I, as, as you mentioned, I've been traveling long enough and, and internationally long enough too, where the differences can sometimes be quite vast. Even traveling within the US, I, I find that it's typically prudent to avoid taking one set of circumstances that are based on one environment and set of rituals and habits and needs and wants and everything else. And to try to then take that over and like cookie cutter them down someplace else. A perfect example, when I was living in Iceland, in Iceland, typically, at least when I was living there, the day just gets started a little bit later on average than it does in most places in the US. And a lot of places don't even open till 10. It's just, it's not Mm. partially because of the environment, partially because of culture and history, I'm sure. Things just get started later in the day, as a consequence, everything shifts. And as a consequence, if you're getting up super early intending to get to work and having other people available to work with you, you're going to be in for kind of a sad surprise. And the same is true to greater and lesser degrees, any place that you might go. And that can be based on the neighborhood, based on the type of work that you're doing, based on your set of friends that you have in the area, whatever. And so wherever I go next, I'm, I'm sure I will take some of my existing habits and routines but I'm going to try uh, as much as possible, at least, to leave myself flexible. And, and typically what that means is just like being bad at maintaining your habits and routines for a couple of weeks so that then you can introduce new habits and routines. And they might be the same as before, but they might be different ones based on those new circumstances. So that, basically, that's my non-answer answer because it's more of a template than a set of things that I do consistently. It, it's a it's a system as opposed to a, a set solution. 
Yeah, the flexibility is so valuable. I mean, that is, as an entrepreneur, as someone who's a creator and doing all these things, I feel like flexibility is just vital and not feeling, not sort of projecting on what we expect to happen from maybe a new project that we launch or whatever it is and really being, okay, this is working, this isn't working, let's adjust, let's pivot and and find our new way to to the next step. And the same is true with new businesses or new jobs that you might take on, new lifestyle circumstances, going from school into the work world, changes in your personal circumstances, whatever, but also things like a pandemic. I mean, there's so many unknowns constantly with with major things that everybody recognizes, but even little things, little changes in technology, little changes in the way the economy works, little changes in laws, little changes in cultural mores, all of these things can adjust to greater or lesser degrees the way that we do things and the types of expectations that we should have about certain aspects of our life or our work. And the ability to look at changes as opportunities, uh, as opposed to looking at them as, as being threats or things that are disturbing something by which we define ourselves. If we define ourselves by one type of ritual, or set of habits or routines, you're, you're kind of setting yourself up either to fail or to be left behind to a certain degree and, and to find yourself with a collection of traits that you've taken into yourself and made part of your personality that are just no longer relevant. Whereas if you can say, I am somebody who can create a ritual and set of routines that I enjoy, no matter the circumstances, you have essentially the same thing, but you leave yourself much more flexible. And if you can do that with anything from your daily habits to your your like your coffee habits and, and the way that you engage with news to things like the way that you do business and being willing to change your business model, being willing to change the way that you create things or even the types of things that you create, you're still at the center of it and your ideas are still at the center of it. And so the way that you apply that typically is less important than the the thought and the concept and the problem solved and more core fundamentals like that. Yeah, the actual, the application of it is is huge. Um, so you, your business relies on having an audience. What do you do currently, if anything, and how would you say you've uh, approached building your audience over the years? Oh, a lot of it's just been consistency and stick around long enough <laughs> um, and, and and don't be a jerk. And then typically over time, you'll accumulate something, some kind of group of people who resonate with your ideas, who, who believe in what you're doing, or who think that you're creating something valuable. Typically though, for me, something that I decided to do early on way back in the day, um, 2009, when I dramatically changed the way that I was living my life and got rid of all my stuff and started traveling full time and tried to figure out a new new way to make money that, that I didn't think was horrible. Um, part of the concept there was to try to make sure that I could make a living just by doing what I was doing. And, and so you can still see the resonance of that today. It's different than it was back then. But the idea was that I could go off and travel. And by virtue of doing that, and by virtue of sharing something about what I was doing, that would then allow me to do something that would allow me to make a living. And so I could write about that. I could write books about that. I could give talks about it. Uh, and, and that changes, you know, as, as the years go by. But if you can build a structure that allows you to be you, and so you don't have to put in it on any 
marketing sparkly bits. You don't have to do a crazy song and dance that doesn't necessarily reflect who you are. You don't have to do anything that you don't believe in or that you don't think is okay by your standards for okay. Uh, that, that seems to do pretty well over time. It's not something I, I would warn that allows you to grow as quickly as you can. There are a lot of opportunities that will allow you to grow your metrics much, much, much faster. And in some cases, those metrics might even pay off. It might be something where you grow up your mailing list by tens of thousands of people, and then a percentage of those will buy whatever it is that you're selling, and then you're good, and you can make a living off of what you do. There's nothing inherently wrong with approaching things in that way. But I, I wanted to set things up in such a way that I didn't have to do that song and dance and didn't have to you know, put the pop-ups and I didn't have to do a sales message in every other paragraph of everything that I wrote. Um, so ultimately, what I decided to focus on was making sure that just me living then translated into something that was hopefully valuable to other people. Uh, and then also being a an open recipient to what other people are going through as well. Uh, I've been encouraging people to write me and tell me about what they're doing since I started doing all of this. And that's something that was just interesting to me as an individual. It's kind of like traveling and hearing about other people's experiences and seeing something of their perspective. But it's also something that then creates a dialogue and it builds more of a relationship. And it's not necessarily something where you're going to be sitting, texting each other and chatting back and forth all day. But if you can afford to be a person on the other end of an email or some other type of communication, that tends to be beneficial as well. And it's beneficial on multiple levels, but it's also been something that I think encourages people to stick around because they know that you're a human being. And if you change the way that you do things someday, you're still the same human being. It allows you to focus on that core of who you are and what you do. Yeah. And I'm sure you get as much value from those correspondences as they do because you're, you're connecting. Yes. It's, it's true connection, maybe in a digital sense, but it's actually connecting with another human that isn't just broadcasting. It's a back and forth dialogue. Exactly. And in what it is, like so many of the other things I've described, it's, it's something that leaves money on the table, but it's optimizing for different things. It's optimizing for, to me, quality of life, and relationships and communication and actually knowing that I'm putting something valuable out into the world because I hear about it. Um, and then also too, getting kind of direction on what to do next. Like some, sometimes I'll hear from somebody and says, you know, I, I like this one thing that you did. I wish you would do this though, because I would be really interested in hearing about that. And then that gives me some ideas about next steps that I might take. And so it's a different type of optimization and it's not something that will necessarily get you those, those desired uh, much desired metrics to the same degree that you might, at least not at first. But it really depends on what you're going into it for and what you'd like to see. Uh, you can definitely go viral if you want to by using all kinds of interesting tricks and gimmicks and techniques. I, I don't think I've ever gone viral, but I've, I've got staying power, thankfully, under what I've built as a consequence of taking this kind of slower, more plodding, but, but a little bit more intentional for who I am and what I want approach. Yeah, the staying power is highly underrated. I mean, I feel like so many people <laughs> have started things, like whether it's in minimalism or travel or whatever it is, but they haven't adapted. They haven't seen the writing on the wall, mm. paid attention and understood oh, the tides maybe are shifting in a little bit. How can how can I still contribute? How can I still be a part of this conversation in a in a valuable way to the 
to the listener, to the reader, whoever it is in the community. Um, yeah. And, and again, just at all levels, if you, if you can allow yourself to see yourself as somebody who learns and is constantly growing, uh, and it's difficult to do because we aren't really incentivized to do this. There's, there's that master paradox where as soon as you become known for being good at something, you can't afford to seem like you don't know something about it. And you have to answer all the questions rather than asking questions. But if you can early on, ideally, but at any point in your career or life, recalibrate your sense of self as somebody who is good at what they do or who, or who can become good at what they're doing because they ask questions and because they're, they're humble in the face of the just massive amount of stuff that they don't know about everything, then you're in a much better place to continue to evolve and change uh, with whatever variables are changing around you. Yeah. And I don't want to take too much more of your time. Like this is, this has been awesome. But one thing I meant to ask is how do you organize all of the ideas? Because you are taking in so much <laughs> and learning so much. How do, do you have sort of any systems in place for organizing what you're learning to then reference back later? I do take notes on things, but not, not in an organized way that a lot of people do. I know there's a lot of very interesting, compelling techniques out there for like collecting information and highlighting and saving things and like bullet journaling. Like they're very cool. There's a lot of very, very interesting things. It's not the way that I tend to store things though. in in that way where they end up being things I, um, and, and this might be something that's that's more a me thing that wouldn't necessarily translate to other people. But I tend to look at information as like uh, a web. And every time you learn something new, it's a new node on that web. And when I learn something new, I try to connect it to existing nodes and as many different nodes as possible. And consequently, one, it makes it, for me at least, easier to remember all kinds of things and find connections between things. But it also then makes it easier to see the exposed nodes that haven't been fully integrated yet and things that I'm still thinking about and trying to connect to other things. And so while once I've started a project, like for my apps, I have a little, just a little journal where I just jot down things and draw little things and try to figure out once I've decided to build things, how to build it. Leading up to that, typically, it's just kind of a mess up in here of, of different points trying to find connections to each other and then randomly and I usually notice when it happens randomly at some point throughout the day, something will snap into place and the new connection will be made and I'll go, oh, okay, okay. It's probably very weird for people around me. Uh, I'll just have that realization. And I, I find that actually some of these things, if I write them down, it's almost like I've given my brain permission to forget. And so I just sit and let it stew. Um, that, that's how most of this information ends up where it eventually ends up in a podcast or in a project or something else. It just, it ends up as part of this increasingly tangled web. But I, I do think that if you allow yourself to sit with that information and try to connect it to other information, you tend to retain it quite a bit better rather than immediately storing it on some kind of like external memory storage, like a cyborg. <laughs> yeah. The interconnectedness of all these different topics, I think, is where the immense value comes in because you're able to give mm -hmm. a different perspective on things instead of being like, okay, I want to learn, I want to learn about X, whatever it is, if it's if cooking, because you recently learned how to cook. Like, I want to learn about cooking. That's the only thing I'm going to focus on. Everything I'm going to learn is in that lane. But how you do that, how you're really, you're tasting from all over the place. I think that that's mm -hmm. immensely valuable. And that's how we end up with, with new ideas. I mean, new idea, it feels like everything's been said, but there's always <laughs> something new and a new way to look at things and a new perspective. 
Yeah. And in a lot of cases, it's just going to be taking existing things and taking a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit here and mixing them in new ways. And so it's not necessarily inventing new ingredients. It's mixing those ingredients in, in a novel way that in a lot of cases, only you would think to mix them. And that tends to be where a lot of the greatest value is. But even just mixing things in interesting ways that are not unique to you, that to me is valuable. And, and so being able to look at things from different angles, and, and this is part of why I, I enjoy just involving myself with so many different seemingly random things, is that learning to cook influenced so many other things in my life and just the way that I look at the world in the same way as programming or entrepreneurship. Uh, the same with music. I, and I'm not like a professional musician, but I know enough about it. And just learning the fundamentals of music and how it works, it can inform everything else that you do in your life. Uh, to me, when I was learning to cook, actually, it felt like it tickled the same parts of my brain as doing design work just certain elements of how you put things together and how you can take certain rules and then apply them to other things. And the, there's a certain aesthetic uh, quality to cooking too that, that hit the same parts of the brain. And so the more different perspectives you have, the more you can three-dimensionalize every single thing that you do and view it from different angles and thus present more angles of whatever it is that you're doing. Uh, that, that to me is a very underrepresented aspect of learning and doing things. And it's in part because we're, we're kind of encouraged to, to specialize with specialization implying that you have to do only one thing ever, which I think is nonsense. Um, the, the people who are, in a lot of cases, the, the monumental figures of their field, very often look at other things that they did on the side and said, you know, I developed that mathematical equation because I was learning to play tennis or something like that. And, and if you've got a bunch of different tennises in your life, it's much more likely that you'll come up with that equation, whatever that happens to be for yourself. Yeah, I think that is immensely valuable advice. And I hope people really take that to heart because that is how, how we move forward, how we grow, how we really do things that are special. Um, just one last question I like to ask people. We sort of touched on this, I feel like, with the audience, um, how you built your audience. But let's pretend that you weren't able to make money in the ways you do right now. So everything was going to change starting tomorrow. You are exactly who you are. You know everything that you do. But for some reason, the audience that you have, the people who are currently buying from you, aren't there anymore. So you are starting from the ground floor, but with with 2020 Collins knowledge and experience, where would you say that you would start? And you could recreate things that you have, but you're starting from the bottom. Mm. Yeah. You know, I've, for me at least, there's a lot of different theories on this, all of which are completely valid uh, and, and lots of different experiences on how people did the things that they did. For me, I have found it's valuable to create, what would you even call it? Like value engines things that you can invest time and energy in once, and then it continues to produce value. And so that might be a blog post, that might be a podcast, it might be an app. I mean, a lot of what appealed to me about creating apps was the fact that I could invest a bunch of time in it all at once. And then, you know, with, with few exceptions where you have to update things or tweak things or fix bugs, it's there then. And then that 10 hours or whatever that you put into it creates X amount of value forever. And so investing yourself in those types of value engines, things that you can invest a bunch in upfront and do as well as possible, and then put out for people to enjoy. That's something that one, 
you can then afford to, to a certain degree, put it out into the world for free, which is good in terms of just bettering the world, leaving it better than you found it, but also potentially garnering some interest or getting your name out there and driving people toward other things. But it's also something that then you could take that same thing, add something atop it, or figure out a way to monetize it. And that ends up being the base level of something else that you build. Um, so for me, something like that, value engines that then also serve as home bases, ideally, uh, there, there's a certain gravity that you can create around yourself if you create things of value too that then draw people to you uh, to you and that helps you build relationships it helps you learn from other people who are doing incredible things and it then hopefully puts you in front of more eyeballs which then eventually at some point could lead it, it gives you all kinds of opportunities for different things that you could then turn into money that you can make a living off of but but having more options in that way and then creating that initial that gravity in those engines, I think, is what I would probably focus on, whether that means starting a new blog or a podcast or a newsletter or a TikTok, I, you know, whatever the, the kids are doing, I'm definitely open <laughs> to it. And, and basically being medium agnostic and being willing to use whatever is available and to learn new things to do that, I think, is an important part of that, too. Yeah, creating that gravity with a tool or something is like once you're saying that, I'm like, that is sort of what we've done. And a lot of the a lot of the things that we've created, like uh, paleo porn, the paleo space, very, very competitive at the time we were in it. But we had the is it paleo tool, people could go there and figure out is it <laughs> is it not paleo and why and I'm, I realized we did the same thing with the kidney stone diet, which is sort of our current platform, we're working with a kidney stone prevention expert. And we've made it the source, the destination for people to reference when it comes to mm. oxalate, which is something important for kidney stones. And that really does help make you the hub of whatever it is. So I'd love, I love that idea. Um, that is absolutely wonderful advice. That I hope people really consider like what that, what that might mean to them, how they can become the focal point in whatever vertical they might be in. So, and it's different for every single person. I absolutely. Mean, look, look inside first. Don't look outside and try to copy somebody else necessarily. It, look for ingredients that you can take and put into your recipe. But uh, the, the more you make it about you and something that you actually care about, the more likely you are to enjoy the work, but also the more likely you are to put out something that's of value. Mm -hmm, definitely. So thank you so much for doing this. This is a great conversation and awesome to catch up because it has been way too long since, <laughs> since we've seen each other. It's been too long. Yeah. No, it's my pleasure. It was great to hear from you. Yeah. So where should people go to follow along with the myriad of things you're doing? Oh, God, that's a big question, isn't it? Yeah, probably the best <laughs> central repository right now is just colin.io. Um, and then social media, maybe if you want to, but colin.io is the, the landing page for most of my projects right now. Excellent. Well, yeah, so thanks again so much and hope you, en hope you enjoy the rest of your day out there in Missouri. Stay, stay cool. And Thanks very much. Yeah, I'm going to do what I can. Yeah, we'll talk again soon. Cool, man. <laughs> See ya. A big thanks goes out to Colin for joining me on this episode. Be sure to check out everything he's up to over at colin.io. As always, this episode of Starting Now is brought to you by Built. At Built, we help you get started online. Whether you want to start a blog or a business, head on over to built.co. That's B-Y-L-T dot C-O to get started. Built. Your website, built for you, simply. Finally, if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. Also, be sure to check out the video version on YouTube. You'll find all the links for this episode at built.co slash 009. That's byltco slash 009. Well, that'll do it for this week. Again, I'm Jeff Saris. 
This is starting now, and I'll see you next time.